The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Here we are. Here we are again. Welcome, welcome again to IMC. And for those of you that are here for the first time, um, a warm welcome. We are here to talk about the Eightfold Path, and we're going to continue today um, talking about uh, wise action, uh, which is um, the second factor within the ethical behavior section of the Eightfold Path. We have um, talk about wise view, how our beliefs, um, how we can um, see our beliefs giving rise to our intention and how we can use the context of the four noble truths and um, how our actions are conse consequential, how we can use all that to uh, cultivate intentions. We also talked about the second factor of the Eightfold Path, wise intention, and which intentions are skillful and which ones are unskillful. We talked about letting go of clinging, we talked about um, compassion, and we talked about goodwill. So wise view and wise intention make uh, the, the section of wisdom within, within the Eightfold Path. And um, last week, then, we talked about wise speech, the first one within the ethical behavior section. And we talked about how we can cultivate wholesome qualities, um, speaking about things that cultivate wholesome qualities within ourselves. So today, we are going to talk about wise action. And we're going to see, I brought this because it reminds me um, how wise view and wise intention are a foundation for wise action. So you can take it. Um, whatever you take from today here, you can take it through an image of these two cups holding the other cup or through remembering what we're going to be sharing. Uh, so the way in which we're going to be doing this is Tanya is going to start the discussion about wise action. And after that, after Tanya, I'm going to follow and keep talking about, about wise action in, in other ways. And after um, 
we covered everything, then we are going to have our tea. So please stay for tea, okay? Um, so that's all I have. Okay. So I'm Tanya Weiser. Some of you I have seen and some of you I have not. Thank you um, for being here. We're going to start with a guided meditation. I think I'm echoing a little, Jim. There's quite a bit of echo, actually. Yeah. Um, So why don't you take a, a moment to get comfortable and into a posture for meditation Consciously bringing your awareness into the present moment, feeling your body in the chair, giving yourself permission to be here. And I'm going to make this or invite you to have this meditation be a bit of a reflection on wise action and the other components that you've focused on so far in the path. So wise action creates an experience or an environment of non-harming. You're just centering in that phrase, non-harming, breathing with that phrase for a moment. Wise action supports our ability to collect our attention. Wise action supports our ability to reflect and to concentrate. And wise action in our life supports our ability to sit down in meditation, to collect our attention and our energies together into a present moment focus. So knowing that right understanding leads to right intention, which leads to right speech and right action. Take a moment to just notice as much as you can whatever thoughts you're aware of having in this brief period of meditation, for a short period of the meditation, right here. 
And as you notice your thoughts, you may ask yourself what energy follows these thoughts. And when or if it feels appropriate, you may reflect during this process on what actions might follow the thoughts and energies if you were not here in meditation. Just holding it lightly, noticing the impulse or the energy And after just briefly connecting, you might want to bring your attention or awareness back into the present moment so we don't get lost in thoughts. And I'd like to invite you to reflect on your intention to participate in this program. On your intention to come here today. How has that intention affected your life? the plans you made. And how it is that you came here today. Do you feel you're in a safe place here? 
How do you feel that if you do? What brings that sense of safety? And for the remainder of the sit, I'd like to invite you to let go of any of the instructions I've offered, any of the busyness that it took to get here today, if you'd like. And just allow yourself to be with your breath as much as you're able today to be. Just coming into the moment and centering and relaxing here and now.
If any time in the sit you find yourself tense or distracted, I want to invite you to check in with the mind and body, connecting with areas of stress or tension and breathing into these places softly. And when you're ready, you can gently bring your awareness back to the breath.
breathing here, right here in this place. I want to offer a brief saying by Mahatma Gandhi to end the sit. He said, your beliefs become your thoughts. Your thoughts become your words. Your words become your actions. Your actions become your habits. Your habits become your values. And your values become your destiny. So, um, right action, part of the ethical or sila component of the path. I'm wondering um, how you feel about this word ethical. How do you feel about the word right action? Just checking in with your body, just quietly for a moment, just tuning in. When you hear the word ethical, when you hear the word right action, how do you feel? You feel comfortable? You feel nervous? Do you feel oppressed? Just notice the different things that might come up for you. There's nothing, you know, I need to do or want to talk with you about this specifically other than to say it's important to know what associations we have with big words like ethics or right, right? And I know that for me when I was first offered to take the precepts, I freaked out. (laughs) I felt so freaked out about making this commitment to never doing these things that I felt like I could never promise to to never do. And um, I have a very different relationship to it at this point, thankfully. But, um, you know, it took me a while before I was comfortable taking the precepts, right, outside of retreat. So, it might affect how you feel about the conversation that we have today or the readings that you've been doing. And my, my intention in, in what I'm going to talk about is to maybe make um, a more personal connection with these 
right actions, which are essentially right in the literal form of the word non-harming or not killing, not striking out, depending on the, the interpretation, not stealing or not taking what is not offered, and refraining from sexual misconduct. So I'd like to talk about each one of these things um, one at a time. And so um, most often you hear um, in terms of not taking life or not killing. Um, that is a precept um, that you'll often hear talked about, right? And for me, that precept has become actually uh, what I think about is a goal of non-harming. That's how I relate to that precept at this point. Um, and that happened for me. Um, I sort of like the precept re- reaction. Um, I struggled with this idea that you know you couldn't kill insects, or how could I not, you know, like ever kill anything? How could I not do this? It just seemed very hard to me. And um, I remember that, you know, so I I was trying. I was trying not to kill ants in particular. I remember thinking about, you know, not killing ants. And and I had uh, one day, um, I had an invasion of ants in my kitchen. And, you know, as a, as a kid, I used to sit on the sidewalk in the sun, and I used to take my finger, and I used to push and kill the ants. I, I remember, I can feel it in my body, in my memory. I just used to, you know, they'd be, it was like a pastime, right? I mean, it was, I'm so, I'm so sad to say it, but it's true. So, to me, the, the motion of going to take my finger and squish an ant was very uh, quick reflex, right? So it's been, it was something that I had been working on not doing, and it, you know, I've been making good progress. But this one particular day, um, I noticed the impulse, and I felt it, and all of a sudden, I could make the connection between this motion, this movement toward harming that ant, and every, every, every action of harm, every, every movement of mind and body toward harming. There was no distinction for me. None. And that moment was the moment of freedom for me from killing ants. (laughs) I have created great methods for... Um, moving ants from my house when they enter at this point without harming them. And um, so, to me, that's why I say it has become not... To me, it's, it's like the not killing is sort of like the huge signpost that leads to this very specific thing of not moving toward harming, right? Any action toward harming. That's what it... That's my story around it. And... It made it, instead of being this thing I shouldn't be doing, it made it be this thing that I could feel the pain of it. I could feel in myself the, the desire to not, to not want to harm, to see the harm, to not want to cause that pain. So, um, just if you don't mind, you can close your eyes or not, but just take a moment to check in with yourself. 
how do you feel personally when you think about not harming any living beings, including yourself? Is there any conflict? You know, there's just this huge, huge topic from vegetarianism to ants to termites to, you know, just striking. Just notice how you feel, what your relationship is, where you might have hooks or passion. And what, what are the stories or the images or your history around being harmed or harming others? Just gently noticing. And I'd like to just offer that the wish that we all be safe and at ease. May we all heal from any wounding we've experienced directly or indirectly, intentionally or unintentionally, from the harm caused by ourselves or by others. Okay. Now, moving on to not taking what's not offered. So, there can be a huge range of taking what's not offered. It can be um, very obvious and it can be very subtle. So, you know, obviously shoplifting is illegal, right? And embezzling and other things that they're in our system that, you know, we can get in trouble for. And then there's some very, very, very subtle forms of not taking what's not offered. And some are very complicated, really. So an example I'll offer is um, my daughter um, brought home some paintings she did. And she actually left them out in the living room. And she left them face out so that you could, well, one of them, they were in a stack, and she left them face out so you could see the one on the top. And um, I commented on the paintings and said, oh, I want to go look. And she said, no, you can't. So if I go and look at the paintings and I tell myself, well, she left them out, am I taking what's not offered? Or if my child leaves their cell phone on the counter face up and a text comes in and I read the text, am I taking what's not offered? Or am I being a diligent parent? (laughs) It's a fine line. And what about the ways that people take power or make choices for others when maybe that wasn't something that was offered? There's a great story um, Tara Brock tells about um, 
a family going out to dinner, and um, the waitress comes over to the table and um, asks people what they want to eat, and um, she gets around to the little boy, and um, the mother says, um, well, I think he answers first. He wants the hot dog and, and french fries. And the mother says, no, he'll have the meatloaf and mashed potatoes. And the waitress says, I'll be right back with your hot dog and french fries. <laughs> yeah, I love that story. So, um, you know, there's, there's, you know, in monks, right, they make a commitment not to pick up a magazine that's on a table because it, unless it's been offered for them to look at. So, you know, we're not monks, but it doesn't mean we can't invite ourselves to look at all the ways that we might take things that aren't offered and um, reflect on that and how uh, we might offer people more safety by being more conscious in this way, right? So again, I want to invite you to just Close your eyes and check in with yourself. And how do you feel when you're invited to not take what's not offered? What feelings or thoughts arise for you? What memories about your own life and your own conduct or the conduct of others in your life? around taking what is not offered. May you, may we, all be safe and at ease and heal from any wounding we may have experienced directly or indirectly, intentionally or unintentionally, from what has been taken but not offered by ourselves or by others. And in terms of sexual misconduct, so it's important um, to distinguish, I think, the difference between uh, engaging in sexual misconduct I think this is an area that gets complicated for people. You know, for me, obviously, um, well, maybe not obviously, but it's not about, it's, not, it's very important not to make sexuality itself something bad or wrong, something to be ashamed of. It's, it's about the conduct, not sexuality itself. It's about intention and conduct for us as lay people. So intention really does matter, right? But again, there's a huge range here from the subtle 
to the very overt forms of sexual misconduct. So the overt are obviously incest and rape and other ways that um, we objectify people's sexuality or body mistreated, force people to be intimate in ways that they're not comfortable being. But the subtle has to do with just, in general, how we direct our sensual energy, our sexual energy, even um, within ourselves or how we maybe use that energy at times. It's a powerful energy and it can be hard to it can be hard to work with. It can be hard to control. And it's not an energy that is um, it's it's not um, there's no sphere where where sexual energy doesn't sort of is, doesn't have the possibility of entering. There's no sphere where it is it can't come in, right? I mean, it may not be in some spheres, but there's no sphere where it cannot enter. So, on retreats, while we, we make a precept of um, no not engaging in sexual behaviors, there's something called vipassana romance, because a lot of sexual energy can arise. And it's the conduct or acting on it that is what we, we work on in retreat. But there's also things that happen between students and teachers in a variety of settings, or priests and, and um, parishers or their whatever, you know, all over. All teachers, all over, in all contexts, right? These power dynamics make people vulnerable also for a violation of sexual energy. So um, it's a very you know, important area of our life to look at and to heed and to practice with, I think. To, if, we, if our goal is to be free and our goal is to offer safety to others, it's a very worthy area of study. So again, I just want to invite you to reflect for a moment, to check in with yourself. How do you feel about the invitation to follow the precept of not engaging in sexual misconduct? Does that make you feel uncomfortable? Does it make you feel happy? Confused? Just noticing what your relationship is to that invitation. So you can explore it. And what memories, feelings, or thoughts arise for you about your own life, your own history, around the conduct of yourself or others in this area? It's a very complex area. Very, very, very complex. So may you and all your loved ones and the people that you know be safe and at ease and free and heal from any wounding that 
we, any of us, have experienced directly or indirectly, intentionally or unintentionally, from sexual misconduct by ourselves or others. So, it seems to me just that this is, these are the areas where people are the most harmed in this world. Some combination of wrong, you know, action. It's, it's um, as a therapist, that's what I do. It's really where the most trauma and wounding originates in people's lives. And it may not even be directly their own, but it may be someone that they that cared for them or that they loved or that they witnessed. But these are very, very, very intensely impactful things that happen to people. So when we follow the precepts and walk the Eightfold Path, we offer safety to others. By offering safety to others, we offer the gift of fearlessness. In return, we may be blessed with the gift the bliss of blamelessness, right? It's a very nice thing that you may not even notice when we are blameless. There's such ease. Sometimes um, when we've been blameless, we may not even notice that we, we feel so at ease until we do a little something off or wrong. And then we go, oh, and we notice oh, I wasn't feeling like this before. <laughs> and we can go, yeah, that felt way better. <laughs> and, and that's one of the ways that you can recognize the bliss of blamelessness, right? Okay. So, I am, Bruni, running way late. So I'm going to try and go fairly quickly through this last piece and turn it over to you. Is that okay? All right. So, um, let's see. I think I'm going to skip over that um, middle path section. Okay. Okay. All right. I think that um, the the thing that I want to offer at this point is just how to practice with this. The idea is to become familiar, to notice, and to pause when you just even notice the, the energy, that, that, that motion, that motion to, to reach out, or the energy to say something or to act in a way that feels, you know, you'll start to feel it. You'll, you'll, you'll know it in your body as you start to watch it, right? And so become more and more attuned to that. Because that will be your friend. That is like your, your guide, your warning. If you can pay attention to, to that, that energy in your body. Um, the urge to strike out. When you move to feel like you want to take something, that, ur- that grabbing, the wanting. Notice that, right? And stop. Pause. So... And I'll read to you um, 
what I wrote about my practice. So my practice has become noticing the energy or the pull to wrong action as something to attend to, to take good care of. Like you care for your thirst with water and not with sugar and caffeine-filled soda that will ultimately deplete the body of more fluids. It is in this way that suffering leads to beauty. It is the awareness of being thirsty that inspires one to take action and then to find water. When met with a compassionate awareness, thirst leads to water and we flourish and so it is with suffering. With compassionate awareness, suffering leads us to stop harming and to offer safety. It is the awareness of the suffering with compassion at its side that creates the possibility for us to offer others the gift of fearlessness and for us to enjoy the bliss of blamelessness. And there's um, a quote that says this much more succinctly. Suffering leads to beauty the way thirst leads to water by Jane Hirschfield. And now I end it on time. Well, I, 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 if I had kept going, I would have been way late. Okay. All right. Well, we still have two minutes. <laughs> um, so before um, moving into uh, setting the groups and doing exercises, um, having conversation, um, as you see from wise speech and, and wise action, there is this element of abstaining Within the for the ethical factors of abstaining behaviors or ways of speaking or that that cultivate a suffering. So um, that it, there is this part of the ethical factors that it, it comes very handy as we go through our practice, and and we'll see more about that when um, when I talk later after the exercise. So we're going to break um, when I talk about other things about wise action. We're going to move into groups. So if you can find um, three other people, we're going to make um, groups of four. How many are we here? Thirty-nine. Translation, please. Yeah, <laughs> it's easy. Thirty-nine. Oh, thirty-nine. So um, I guess that maybe one group will be five people. So why you don't start looking for um, three other and setting to a group of four or five? One group of three. One group of three. Okay. Thank you. <laughs>
Wow, this is this is a great great group. <laughs> How quickly we had like three minutes to do this, and now we're ahead of time. Um, okay, so okay, so what we're gonna do? Um, and Tanya, help me here if okay. if you think that is different from what we talked about, but. Um, we're going to go through each one of us, and we're going to answer the following sentence. And so when, these, when it's your turn, you, you will say, when I act with integrity, I feel. Okay? When I act with integrity, I feel. And then you will say, how you feel and go ahead yeah thank you jim so um that's part of what i skipped maybe i should take that minute and sort of yes mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah all right so um i think that um when we act just to kind of bring this all together for you guys when we act according to the eightfold path right when we sort of stay within the guidelines offered um the gift is that we we act with integrity Mm -hmm. Right, and but what integrity is is it means being one. It means wholeness. It means health. It's unification, a state of being whole, together, undivided. Okay, so integrity may be a good word to describe what occurs um, when the interrelationship between the three path factors is in balance. And as it also describes a particular state of being and the ways we relate both to ourselves and all other living beings when we feel like we're acting in accord with what feels wholesome, helpful, non-harming, right? And so really, um, that's what the, for me, the Eightfold Path is like, it, the, the path factors are not the path, but they keep us on the path, right? So we have these little guides that help us stay on a path that brings peace and joy and happiness, so, which creates a sense of wholeness. And that's the integrity that we're talking about. So when, when we behave in a way that, that feels like we're acting in accord to our integrity. So how did, how did we phrase the sentence? So the sentence that you will then say is, when I act with integrity, I feel. And then you will say how you feel. And the second sentence is, when I don't act with integrity, I feel. And then once you express yourself, then the next person will go and will say the same sentence. When I act with integrity, I feel. And when I don't act with integrity, I feel. So um, I was thinking that we do one question at a time, not back to back, because I think it might be easier to get deeper with each question separately. Is that okay? That's perfect. Okay. Okay. So just start with when you do act with integrity, how you feel. So, are we supposed to use a word, a phrase? Are we supposed to talk at length? Or? A word, a phrase, a sentence. 
Yes. <laughs> yes, we'll let you know when to switch. Yeah, we're going to let you know when to switch, okay? Yes. Not when to switch people, but when to switch questions. Yeah, so the person who has the lightest colored socks goes first. <laughs> and we'll go clockwise. They can start? Okay, so... Now we're going to take a short break. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> what wait, happened? I told wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I told... <laughs> I told Tanya, you know, I feel like driving on a car and I'm like just going and you're saying, where are we going? <laughs> go this way, go this way. Tell me. So um, before we take the break, which we're going to take in a few minutes, how was this for you? Oh, yes. Before. <laughs> yeah, that's... Anybody want to share? I've got. Let's use the microphone. If anybody would comment on how it was to be in the small group, or how it was to reflect on um, acting with or without integrity. I think we gave really good um, examples, and I think we could write a really short article about this. <laughs> Everybody came to it from a different point of view, and I really liked it. Thank you, Judy. So um, we noticed in our group that our responses ranged. While we were all speaking from our hearts and minds, they ranged from skillful to unskillful. And uh, we didn't get a chance to explore that in any detail, but we thought that was a really important aspect of it. You want to say anything more since you didn't get to explore it? Would there be anything more you'd want to say about it? Well, um, I'll just cite examples of arguably unskillful response, and that's self-blame, self-criticism, negative rumination, Mm. beating yourself up in various forms and guises. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. Richard, can you hand this behind you? (laughs) Thank you. Um, So for myself, the first question was on the integrity part. I said, oh, this is hard. I had to kind of go through what were experiences and what kind of, how would I feel? And that was actually a harder exercise. When the second question came, I'm like, oh, I, I got loaded synonyms for this one. <laughs> so I think I, I noticed for myself, just sort of like, oh, I got lots of experience, a data bank for the second one. <laughs> you know, we can go on and on. That was the thing that was a little bit of a story that I, I, I reacted to this exercise. Okay. So kind of interesting. Thank you. Others might have the opposite. <laughs>
Now I appreciate Peter's comment about skillful and unskillful. And as we were going around, I was thinking about the difference between when, meaning during, you know, what feelings are motivating me for doing it, and then after I've done it, what comes up, you know. And so I, I, there were sometimes some more skillful reactions after I've done it, like compassion or curiosity or something. And so anyway, just that distinction was interesting. Great. So um, the negative reactions that were mentioned by Peter and Chris and, <coughs> and others um, I came up with us as well and uh, made me think, and I'm thinking now, um, that that's where we create our own suffering. In, in that moment, um, that's clearly where suffering arises. We call it by different names or more specific items, but that's dukkha. That's the nature of dukkha, and that's where it lives in our minds. Yeah, so that's... And like our the, actions. The hundred arrows, right? Yeah, thank you. So, yeah, just to elaborate a little bit on what Arthur said was, uh, just reflecting now... Um, the unethical or lack of integrity does kind of tend to create a lot more sense of self, a sense of mm-hmm. a constructed idea of I'm actually not resting in awareness at that point. I'm actually identified with some idea of who I'm supposed to be and I'm manipulate, trying to manipulate my environment in some way you know, in an unethical way. And when that happens, it really creates this sense of disquiet, you know. So, anyway, that's one. Last question, I think, for us to take our break. For acting with integrity, of course, you know, there was all this positive stuff that I felt. But it was also, there was also like pride and some superiority in a way, mm-hmm. kind of like mentoring, like other people should be doing this too. And uh, so, you know, in my head it's like I'm doing this, I'm doing the right thing, but I'm doing it kind of almost for a selfish reason or for ego. You know, the ego is, is playing a big part of that also. So it's kind of, kind of a, a battle there. More suffering. (laughs) Great. Well, thank you very much. That was great feedback. I really appreciate um, what you all just shared. That was very, very helpful. Um, So let's take a five-minute break. (laughs) Yes, five. (laughs) 